Growing Pains, i.e. Parenting Podcast, in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices. Hi, I'm Irene Feehan and welcome to Growing Pains, the Irish Examiner's Parenting Podcast Series in association with Safe Food. With me today is child psychotherapist Dr. Joanna Fortune, who writes a column for our IE Parenting section out every Tuesday and online. Joanna is the author of the 15 Minute Parenting Books and she also hosts a 15 Minute Parenting Podcast series. For the next 20 minutes, we'll be talking about how to mind your head. And Joanna, you're very welcome to our studio. Thank you, Irene. So parenting is a 24-7 job, often difficult to build in time for self-care. So how, how do we go about that and how do we manage low energy levels, which we know can also affect our children? Absolutely. And isn't self-care always the first thing to go in any area of our life when we become busy? And time is that resource we never seem to have enough of. When you add into the mix parenting and the demands of children and their lives and their social lives, I think it's very easy to see how energy can run low, but we haven't built in that space and time to invest in resourcing ourselves back up. So I often describe it as parental stamina, Mm. you know, and what I mean by that is it's a term to describe the drive that somehow keeps us going as parents. And that's really, really important because it's a great tool for checking in with ourselves. I like to use a percentage thing on that, you know, and saying, where am I at? You know, a little bit like driving a car. What's in the tank at the moment? And, you know, on a good day, I could be saying 60, 70 percent. I'm not aiming for 100 percent here because... There's life stuff. But if I can be honest with myself and say, no, I'm at 20, 25% here, I know from that moment my responses, my capacity to engage playfully, to respond and react to the trials and tribulations that are going to come up in the day, the unpredictability of life is going to be affected by my energy. So self-care isn't something nice that any of us should be doing in our lives. It's actually essential. We often, you know, talk about how when you're on an airplane, they, you know, they will advise you to put your own air mask on first before you tend to your child. And I think a lot of parents have that. Absolutely not. I'm going to take care of my child first. The best way that we can take care of our children is to take care of ourselves first and foremost. So I don't say this as something nice and twee, oh, sure, take care of yourself, light yourself a candle there, that's lovely. I think it needs to be more than that. And it starts with authenticity and just being honest with ourselves and our children, to be honest about, I don't have it today. I don't have it to give you and my efforts to play are going to be lackluster at best. So what can you do instead is the important part. And you talk about having these kind of armchair play ideas, play dates with your child so that you can manage your low energies and also look after your child. Well, exactly. And I think a little bit of forward planning, because when you're running really low on energy, isn't the time we make our best decisions and you say, "Mm, let me get creative and imaginative with a solution here. The whole point is you don't have that capacity. So planning ahead for this is really good and having some armchair play ideas. So that means I don't have the energy to get out of this chair, but I'll still get you playing. Take a balloon, blow it up and play some balloon volleyball from where you're sitting in your chair. 
Okay, you're playing, you're not doing a whole lot of movement there. Come over and have your child trace letters or numbers on your back with their finger and you guess what they are and then you can do it to them. You can do that from seated as well. You can have them do things, um, race outside, run around, go get something, do something and you'll time them. They'd be delighted to impress you and all you're doing there is clocking time. You could also have a fort building day, which sounds very energetic, but they're going to build the fort. So this depends on the age of your children where you just give them the chairs and some blankets and let them build something in there while you sit there. They, you could even have a snack ready that they take in with them and it buys you a bit more time or having one of those low stamina day play boxes. So I tend to use like a shoe box. Mm -hmm. And in it, I put little bits like a little jigsaw, a little Rubik's cube, a little bit of putty, um, some little pink pot of slime, just things that they don't see every day. And there's a novelty factor in that. It only comes out on rare days and they don't get access to it otherwise. And you say, "Ooh, it's going to be whatever the special box day. That's what you get to play with and they'll be absorbed. And oh, look at the little treasures that are in this box. And you get a much needed cup of tea break. There are always things that you can do that will keep you playfully engaged but not stretching yourself beyond the limited resources you have because that in itself is a form of self-care. And we're talking then about the need, obviously, for children to play, but adults need to play too. And you've written a book about that, I know, as well, called How We Play. Yes. So that's a whole area that we need to invest in. It is. And again, you know, in one of our earlier conversations, we talked about how we tend to relegate play to the realm of childhood. And we miss the fact that we really do need to play throughout the trajectory of our life, through all spans of our life. And I mean, you know, when you're a child, when you're, you know, preteen, when you're a teenager, a young adult, in your relationships, intimate partner relationships, friendships, even as you grow into being the adult child of an aging parent, you still need a way of playful connection. And the reason for that is that play fuels flexibility and adaptability. It helps us to bend without breaking and respond to the unpredictable challenges and sometimes the very predictable challenges that life is going to bring our way. But also it puts us into a curious and therefore creative state of mind. And a curious state of mind is one where you're wondering. I always think we should promote more about being curious than being certain. I think in modern life, there's this pursuit of certainty and absolutism. And I know, and this is a fact. There's nothing wrong with saying, perhaps, maybe, I wonder. As soon as you're doing that, you're in a playful state of mind. That's one that not only, as I said, will fuel flexibility and adaptability, but it also helps to strengthen relationships, connection within ourselves, in relation to others, within the environment around us, be that home, be that work. I think play has a very important role in the workplace. And I do see why we park it, Irene. I do see why mm. we you know, deprioritize play because we get very consumed with other adult responsibilities. You know, we prioritize career and we prioritize other life goals. And that makes sense at a certain point of our life. But the longer we leave it without playing, we will find ourselves stuck. Can you give us examples and some playful things you can do as an adult? 
I think it's not all that different to children, to be honest with you. And I think when I talk about, you know, play with adults, there's an initial kind of and be aware if anyone's listening and this is your reaction going, oh, no, she's going to expect us to be children's entertainers or, you know, brightly colored hair and paint spattered overalls that we are all used to seeing on entertainment shows. That's one form of play. We might call it frivolous play, but there are many ways of playing. And I actually think most people are more playful than they give themselves credit for. If you're somebody that does Wordle every day or Sudoku or crossword puzzles, that is a form of play. It's intellectual play, but Mm. it is a valid form of play. And it might be that you're like, oh, well, I do that. And what else could I now do? And stretch yourself a bit beyond it. I like to keep a little um, just a freezer Ziploc bag in my desk drawer and it has things like a small a little thing of bubbles I also go back to you know in self-care as we're talking about it's often we're talking about breath control take a breath center yourself when I'm stressed and anxious Mm. if I was to suddenly start taking a breath it would sound a bit like (laughs) you know it's hard to get there I personally find blow some bubbles a better way to get me into breath control because you have to take a deep breath in through your nose, you exhale through your mouth and the bubbles come out. So it's more fun. (laughs) Sure. And you get to pop them, you get to be playful, but it is a form of breath control. And I know you're thinking, goodness, you couldn't sit at your desk at work and blow bubbles, but why not? And why not? What would people think? They'd go, oh, that's so silly. But how? what's the harm in being silly? I don't think we embrace that enough. I also think simply taking our earphones out of our ears on public transport and putting our phone away and being open and available for a random casual conversation or fleeting connection with a stranger. Just hi and how are the weather today? And And Irish people are natural at that almost. I think that is a playfulness. Mm. I think changing the way you get to work, you know, just switch it up, rerouting, you know, and switch it up like that and being flexible or also simply thinking about the last thing you remember bringing you great joy in your childhood? What did you love playing? And when is the last time you did that? And could you get back there? I think whatever it means to you, chat, we all have play tendencies and patterns. And I do go into quite a lot of detail on that in the book. Um, But I think that's where you want to go with this. Another area that we've actually been really challenged by is the pandemic and people becoming more isolated. Okay thinking particularly parents of young children as well at home a lot. So what can we do just to bridge that gap then between being alone with the child, feeling quite isolating Mm. and then breaking out beyond that? Yeah, I think that's something that was really underexplored as part of the impact of necessary, you know, pandemic restrictions. But our world got very small very quickly and our access to outlets um, in the outside outside world. That could be things like the gym, meeting friends for coffee, um, going to play football or whatever hobby or activity you were involved in. It could also be something a little more formal, though, that maybe you had mental health supports and appointments or other things like that that were suddenly stopped or moved online, which was a good substitute in the short term, but it's not the same in the long term. And I think anyone who lived or lives alone would have felt it in a very particular way Mm. around that. We often over the course of parenting talk about pandemic babies and babies born during Mm. lockdown. But we have to remember with each of those babies born, a parent was also born and emerged. And it doesn't matter if that was your first baby or your third baby. It was a very unique experience 
experience and access to community, to other parents, to, you know, parent infant play groups or any gatherings in your health center that you were doing or breastfeeding groups or whatever it was, you didn't have that. It was all you. And there's already so much pressure in parenting infants to feel, oh, my goodness, I really am everything for this baby. And I have nobody propping me up so that I can keep doing this. Or, you know, what's where am I being stimulated and fed and nurtured in my life to keep doing this? I think we have seen a huge impact and effect on maternal mental health around that. Um, I, I certainly think we, you know, we've been talking about stamina and stamina being much more to do with energy levels and where you're at within yourself. This is different. You know, I think when we're talking about loneliness and isolation, and if that was long term and you're still carrying the effects of that, you deserve a supportive space to explore that, to process that and work that through. And I would really encourage people, if this is bringing stuff up for you, to reach out within your community to your public health nurse, to your GP and seek a referral around, you know what, that really affected me and I'm still feeling the effects that might be in terms of I'm more anxious or I'm, you know, more vigilant or I feel my energy is not just a low stamina day, but that's pervasive and I'm more often like that than not. That's that's different. And that is something that I would encourage someone to get some professional support with. And if there's something then on a more day to day basis then that you're feeling isolated, mm. you certainly have you have pandemic is behind most of us, thankfully. But there's a sense that you want to m make connections beyond just your immediate family unit. What would you suggest? I think your community is your resource. Your health centre, public health nurses will have a lot of resources, but also don't forget your library does as well. I think finding groups that you can join, connect with, meet up with, it doesn't matter how casual those are. You know, loneliness really emerges when our efforts or desire to forge a social or emotional connection is either not reciprocated or we don't have the opportunity to realize it. So if you're sitting in that space, look for opportunities that will allow you to realize those connections you desire. And it can be so much more difficult than when you're at home with a young baby or Isn't it just, yeah. preschool children and you don't have that freedom to move. So what would you suggest are the creative ways then around finding connections when you've got young children? I think it's usually finding your tribe of other parents with young children in that phase of your life. And I think that's when I talk about, you know, reaching out for your community resources. It is really those play groups, those parent child groups, a community music group, something that enables and not only enables, but actually encourages you to bring your child with you. But mm -hmm. you still get the adult connection and we can minimize the importance of those casual connections in our life. It doesn't mean it's going to, oh, Joanna, that's not the same as having a really tight connection. You know, it's not. You're absolutely right. But casual connections can still be authentic. And that's where we would find the benefit is in the authenticity of the connection. I'm not alone. I'm part of something bigger than myself. There are lots of us out here experiencing maybe not the same, but similar. And we can be there to support each other. I think that's really, really important. You know, we're relational people. I think we forget that we're relational people. Um, we need connection. We need relationships. They're not just things that are nice for us. And in order for me to be as available as I need to be for my child and to nurture that relationship there, I need a world beyond them as well. I, I've often said this, that I think 
And absolutely, our children are and should be very important in our lives if we choose to to have children. I think they should be very, very important in our lives, but they cannot be all of our lives. They cannot be everything because that's too much pressure on a child. It's too much pressure on a relationship, any one relationship. So we do need to ensure that we are developing or sustaining relationships that are going to enable us to have that support. It really does strengthen and enhance our own mental health and well-being to have that social emotional hub. You know, I often think of it Mm. as your network, your support network. And prioritise that as well. Not to leave it, push it out for another day that becomes front and centre in terms of your own self-care. Exactly, exactly. And it's just about finding that inner contentment. Now, we're going to talk about a tip that you might have in terms of recognising the difference between happiness and joy. Yeah, that's perfect, actually, because, you know, as I'm talking about finding that contentment within us, we can often set ourselves in pursuit of happiness and we can use terms like happiness and joy interchangeably. I tend to see them in different ways, though. I think, you know, happiness is an outward expression, but joy is an internal feeling. And I think when we understand joy, we understand play because they're very closely related, completely linked, you know, and we know from research in this area that joy changes the brain in important ways. And it really does. It's one of our very important emotional pathways and circuits in our brain. So when we are joyful and joy is one of those things, it's not transient, really. So which sounds weird because, oh, Mm. what if you're sad? Well, then you're sad and there's context to your sadness. There's a cause and a reason you're feeling sad. But you remain a joyful person and how that comes about um, is really important for us to understand. And even simply now listening, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to invite listeners just to allow the first name that comes into their head to come into their head, no matter who that is, even if it surprises you. Who enjoyed you as a child? And just let that sit there, you know, who enjoyed you as a child and how do you know that they enjoyed you? What did they do or say that let you know? Because in that, somebody was letting you know that you're enjoyable. And it's only by experiencing joy in that way that I am enjoyable. I have been enjoyed that I grow up to be capable of experiencing that level of joy within myself, in other relationships. And that's really important. And then you make that transition from your own experience and who enjoyed me? When did I really matter? When did I shine in somebody else's eyes? And you bring that to your child then. Exactly. Because you can equally say, does do I, first of all, enjoy my child? Be honest with yourself. (laughs) It's only an internal reflection. So be honest. And do they know that I enjoy them? What is it I do to make sure that the people in my life know I enjoy them? Because that's a transformative experience. Joy is a shared experience. It's not something I just hold in and of myself. I enjoy and am enjoyed in return. It is that those moments of meeting that those are, you know, true connections and allow us that space for shared joy in our life. I think that's one of the greatest investments in mental health and well-being. I think it's one of the greatest protections we have against psychopathology or disturbance emerging in our mental health. So find the things in your life that spark joy for you and really invest in those. 
prioritize those because that's not about, oh, at that level of indulgence for yourself. First of all, I think we all deserve that, but it's actually an investment in your family that you are somebody who is joyful, capable of joy and can share that with those around you. So I wouldn't take that lightly. I would take that very seriously. As a responsibility almost. Exactly. It's a duty of care to Mm. self and others in our lives. Joanna, thank you for pointing out why it's so important to look after ourselves as parents. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Growing Pains, IE Parenting Podcast, in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices.